Now as we open, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide us as we get into this, your word. Show us what you would want us to see from this section. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 1. These things the Lord appointed another seventy also and sent them out two by two before his face to every city and place where he himself would come. Therefore he said unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray that ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. Go your way, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse, nor scrips, nor shoes, nor and salute no man by the way and into whatsoever house you enter first say peace be unto this house and if the son of peace be there your peace shall rest upon it if not it shall turn again unto you and if the same house return remain eating and drinking such things as they give you for the lab labor is worthy of his hire go no not from house to house and into whosoever city you enter, and they receive you, eat and such things that is, are set before you, and heal the sick that they might, that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But unto whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you not, go your way out into the streets of the same, and say, Even as the very dust of your city which cleaves to on us, we do wipe off again, notwithstanding you are to say this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you, but I say unto you that it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than it was for those for that city. Woe unto Gorazim, woe unto you, Bethsaida, which for if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which were done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth cloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Copernicum, which are exalted in the heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. He that hears your word, hear, he that hears you, hears me. He that despises you, despises me. And he that despises me, despises him that sent me. And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us as though to, unto us through your name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning falling from heaven. Behold, I give you the power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy, and nothing shall be by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not, but that the spirits are subject to you, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather because your names are written in heaven. And this is a rather long section of scripture. I don't usually go this long, but we're going to talk about some key points in this. First, Jesus sent out 70 people. Now, when we think about the followers of Jesus, we usually think about the 12 disciples. All right? Uh, but Jesus had a whole lot of people that followed him everywhere he went. And so this is showing us that we're 70. Uh, we're told that uh, Paul told the people when he was talking to Corinth, he goes, there were 500 people that saw Jesus resurrected that were following him. So there was a lot more following Jesus than just the 12 disciples that we think of. Uh, so here he sends out 70 people. And it's kind of interesting, when he sends them out, he says, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. 
And I think about that for us. The harvest is great, and the laborers are few. And it's really sad how many people that, are, that call themselves Christians and may be Christians have never shared the gospel with anybody. And that's a hard thought to think of. You know, Jesus said the harvest is white, it's ready. It is out there ready to respond. And I was listening to a speaker yesterday or this morning, and he was talking about how one third of the Christians have never shared the gospel with anybody. He said that of the people who don't go to church, he said 40% of them would just come if they were invited to come to church. That's a kind of a scary thought that, you know, our churches aren't full. Are we actually inviting people to come? Now, you all know that I'm not saying the church is the biggest thing. I don't even want us talking necessarily about church because I want people to talk about Jesus. If we can get them saved, they'll come to church. You know, because they'll want to come to church if they're saved. And I'm more interested in where are they going to go for eternity? When I go out and I do door knocking, which I haven't been able to do very much here because I've just worked too much, my goal is not to try to get them to come to a church. My goal usually is what have you done with Jesus? Where are you going to go for eternity? Because this is the biggest question. Coming to church is not going to get you saved. Well, does not make, mean that you're saved. It's a good chance you're going to get saved if it's a good church. But there are people that have gone to church all their life that are still headed to hell because they never made a decision for Christ to accept the sacrifice that he did on the cross. Now, some of these people, they know the gospel, they know the message, they know the Bible. But they have not said, Jesus, I am a sinner and I need your salvation. This is what the harvest is. This is what we are to go out and be able to share. And we are to pray that God will send laborers. This is very interesting is that he said, Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest for laborers. And we need to be ready to answer that call. We have done evangelism classes in here, but you know, what is the biggest thing about evangelism? If you're a Christian, tell people what God has done for you. Are you saved? Are you walking with him to follow him? Yeah, when we first get saved, we're really willing to share about the gospel, and we're usually really good at it. We go to our friends and say, you're going to hell if you don't receive Jesus. <laughs> we make them feel really good. <laughs> you know, uh, because we're excited. I mean, we're excited. We're doing it for the right reasons. We're doing it because we're excited. We're, we're excited that we don't want to see them go to hell, but we don't usually do it right. The sad thing is, is we start learning how to be able to present it correctly. How many of us stop sharing the gospel? and stop sharing it with people. We shouldn't go from one extreme to the other because the only thing that really matters is where is somebody going to spend eternity? Uh, and this is some of the problem that we have. A lot of times we go, well, I don't want to offend them. They might not be my friend. Well, I have news for you. They're going to be more offended when they stand at the white throne judgment and you didn't tell them about Jesus. And they go, you knew about this coming? I don't know if that would actually happen, but you understand what I'm saying. When they stand at the right throne judgment, if you didn't tell them about Jesus, they're probably going to look over at you and say, this wasn't important enough for you to tell me. Now, they might not have accepted it, but that's, you know, 
we don't need to really understand. It doesn't matter whether they're going to accept it or not. Our job is to tell them. Now, when you listen to testimonies of people, very often these testimonies come out and they will go, you know, in the middle of the night I woke up remembering what that crazy person told me during the daytime. <laughs> you know, they gave me all these verses and they told me that there was a heaven and I started thinking, what if it was real? What if what they're saying is true? You do not know the impact of your words on the people that you're sharing the gospel with. Share it with them. Let them make a decision to reject or, or accept Christ. Because we don't know them and it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit is the one that brings them to Christ anyway. Now, no matter what we say is not going to matter. No matter how good we say it <laughs> isn't necessarily going to matter. I can't argue, and I mean, I'm, I'm good. I can give people all the answers they want to know, but I can't argue them into the kingdom of God. I can answer their questions. I can make them know that there are answers because God says, come now, let us reason together. But I can't convince them to the point that they're just going to say, well, I'm just so convinced I'm going to become a Christian. And if they are getting saved that way, then somebody else can convince them that I was wrong. And it's not that hard. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. And then in verse 3, he says, I'm sending you as lambs among wolves. How would you like to be told that? You know, you're a lamb and I'm going to send you to a pack of wolves <laughs> to go talk to them. Uh, now, if you know anything about lambs, lambs are the most defenseless animal that's ever existed in this face of the world. Uh, they cannot survive without a shepherd taking care of them. Uh, and Jesus says, okay, you're lambs, you're totally defenseless, and I'm going to send you amongst those ravenous wolves that are going to tear you apart. From a human perspective, this is like, uh, why would you do this? <laughs> but you know, the good news is that the Holy Spirit is in us, and it's the Holy Spirit that does the work. And the Holy Spirit is not a lamb. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the one in charge, and he is not worried about it. And one of the great news about this is when you share, and I don't know how many of you share with gospel with other people, but you know, it's pretty amazing sometimes when you're sharing and then all of a sudden you start realizing that you're not the one talking. It's your voice talking. It's your, your mind that's putting things together, but you realize it's not even your mind that's putting them together. There's something further than you putting things together. And it's the Holy Spirit using you because you were willing to be used. And you just listen to the Holy Spirit. This has happened to me so many times. I'm going, wow, this, this person talking actually knows what they're talking about. You know, listen to these things. Did, did I know these things that I'm saying? You know, and we just, we're sent out in God's power. And this is the great news for us. God indwells us and by grace allows us to be able to share the gospel with other people. And maybe even see them bow their knee and accept Christ as their Savior. This is the good news. You know, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God is not the good news, but that is part of the good news. We're all sinners. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God has a gift. And it came through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And this is what he says. His message, he said, to tell them is that the kingdom of God is at hand. 
Now, we hear that and we, not, we don't think of it the same way as the Jewish people did. When the Jewish people heard that, they go, okay, Messiah's come and we're going to have Israel be where everything rules. But that is not quite what he meant because he meant that salvation was there. We were going to be able to enter into the presence of God. Do you realize how wonderful that gift is that we can go to the presence of God and ask God for anything? That was not the way the Jewish people fought. The Jewish people went to the tabernacle or the temple in Jesus' day. They offered a sacrifice that they hoped was enough to get them covered for that sin and, and the priest went in to meet with God. It was not something, when Jesus taught, as we're going to be talking about later on, to pray, and he started saying, Our Father, which art in heaven. That was not the way the Jewish people thought. They did not think of God as a personal being that they could approach. We have a picture of God as our Father that we can go to. And he says, The kingdom of God is at hand. Do we realize how close the kingdom of God is? We are his children. We are adopted into the family of God. We are his. We are to know him. We are to spend time with him. We can go and pray with him, not in formula prayers and prayer book prayers, but actually talk to him you know, with, as we talk with anybody else. And this is the great news for us, is that we will be able to do all of this stuff with him. And what is impossible with man is very possible with God. Now, how many people have you talked with that you thought, there is no way this person would ever listen to the gospel message, and you start talking to them, and they just break down and, and respond? Yeah, I get to see it. I get to see it at the prison. There are people that just break down when they hear the gospel message. Now, there are people that I've talked to on the street that just break down when they hear the gospel message because they finally realize that somebody loves them enough to care about them. This is the good news. We have a God that loves us. And I don't know if you've done any looking into other religions, most religions do not have a God that loves you. There is not a religion out there where your God would die for you so that you could go to heaven except for Christianity. God loves us. Now, why he loves us, that's a whole other story. We're not even going to try to get into that one. He just loves us. And he chooses to love. And I've said this many times. When Adam and Eve sinned, it was not a surprise to God. He knew they were going to sin before he created them, and still he created man. I don't understand that kind of love. Because he knew that when they sinned, the only way that he was going to redeem them was to die for them. And still he created man. The description of Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The Father and Son and Holy Spirit already knew what was going to happen and still they did it. You know, I, I try to put my, put my brain around that and I can't even begin to put my brain around that whole thought process. Because in my thought process, I would, I would say, well, if I know they're going to fail, why am I going to create them at all? You know, that's how I think as a human being. It's not how God thinks. He loves us. He paid the price for us so that we could be saved. And, you know, his statement to the, people, to the disciples is, whosoever house that you go in, if they accept you, stay there for the duration of your time in that, in that town. 
And then he said, if they reject you, now he's, he's, certain of these you might even recognize, he says, if they reject you, say it would be easier for Sodom. Now, hopefully you know what Sodom was, Sodom and Gomorrah, where Lot lived, which was so evil that God destroyed it with fire and brimstone, not just Sodom and Gomorrah, but the entire valley was so bad that God destroyed them with fire and brimstone. He said, if they reject you in this day and age, it's better, it would have been better for Sodom and Gomorrah. That is pretty big comparison. <laughs> to say Sodom and Gomorrah would have been better than that city. Then he goes and he uses the name uh, Chorazam and Berseda. Now, those are names that you probably don't know because they were biblical, but those were events that had happened in Jesus' day where tragedy fell upon those cities and most people said it was a judgment from God. It appears that Jesus is agreeing with them that these were judgments from God, that these cities fell. Then he uses Sidon and Tyre. Now, if you're Old Testament scholars, you'll know that Tyre was one of the worst cities of their day, and God destroyed them. Matter of fact, in Isaiah, this is, he was talking about the king of Tyre, and then all of a sudden Isaiah started talks about Satan. That's how close they were together. And then he says, you know, Satan's I wills, and, and that he walked with it. And Sidon was another city that was totally destroyed because of their sin. What a picture that he's saying. He goes, if they reject your message, it would have been better for those cities that were destroyed than for them. And you know, in one sense, this is very true. When you share the gospel with somebody and they reject the gospel message, and note that I say, we say they rejected the gospel message, they didn't reject you, they reject the message. When they stand before the white throne judgment, they will not be with the excuse because God will say, you were told. Everybody who stands at the white throne judgment, and that's everybody that's rejected Jesus Christ, will have been heard the gospel message at some point and know that they have rejected God's grace and mercy. They will be without excuse. And we as Christians will not stand at the white throne judgment because we are in Christ. We will go to the Bema Seat judgment where our works will be cast into the fire and we'll be receive our rewards for eternity. And we will be the spectators of the white throne judgment looking on. But everybody at the white throne judgment is guilty. They're headed to the lake of fire. And at that point, they will bow their knees. You know, I have talked to people who said, I will not bow to God. You know, yeah, and I'm going, well, that's really a sad state, but there will be a time. Well, I'll never bow to God. God says you will bow to him at the white throne judgment, and you will declare that he is Lord, and at that time it's too late. Satan will bow at the white throne judgment and declare you are Lord. Every knee will bow at that point. You know, so we want to be able to understand when people reject your message, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the message of the gospel. And one thing I want to also tell you is how many of you that are saved, did you respond to the very first time you ever heard the gospel message? I don't think anybody has ever done. They, they say, and I don't know who has actually done this research, and that most people need to hear three to seven the gospel message three to seven times before they respond. I don't know whether that's true or not. I know that I heard it several times before I responded, and I know that most people I've talked to have heard it multiple times before they responded. Why? 
because it takes a little bit of time for our thick-headedness to be worn through. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but most of us are very thick-headed. I know I am. I don't, I don't like to respond the first time I hear something. I have to be convinced that it's true. Um, very analytical. I like to find out why things are true. And, but, you know, God also knows that we are a little slow at learning. You know, if you read through the Bible, you find that God repeats himself and repeats himself and repeats himself and then keeps repeating himself. Why? Because he knows that we are slow to learn. Uh, he, he knows that we are slow to learn even as Christians. And before we're Christians, we're even slower to learn because the Holy Spirit's not living in us to help us learn. So just share the gospel with people. Let them know that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Because Satan has got a whole bunch of lies out there. You know, Jesus said, he is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me, Jesus Christ. There's no other way. How many people do you meet to say, well, I hope I'm good enough to go to heaven? Answer is, you're not. <laughs> you know, I'm not good enough to go to heaven. You're not good enough to go to heaven. Nobody's good enough to go to heaven without Jesus Christ's righteousness. No matter how good you think you are, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so we have this pro problem that people go, well, I'm going to be good enough. Well, if you think that's the case, when you stand at the white throne judgment, you will be judged because of your own righteousness, which Isaiah says is filthy rags. So when you stand before the white throne judgment, you're going to be standing in front of the white throne judgment in filthy rags. Trying to tell God that you deserve to go to heaven. Can you picture that? That would be like going to, to court. You know, if you know anything about the court system, the first thing that the, they try to do with these guys, they come in, show up in their orange jumpsuits, and the lawyer will try to get them into decent, presentable clothes so that they don't look guilty. Everybody who stands at the white throne judgment is going to be standing in filthy rags trying to convince God that they deserve to go to heaven because of all that wonderful righteousness that they're wearing. And then they will realize that they have believed a lie. That they believed a lie and they're going to face that judgment. Jesus said that this was going to happen and then he concluded with those that receive you receive me, Jesus, and if they receive me, they receive the one that sent me, the Father. Do you realize that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're also receiving the Father? This is the wonderful news for us. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we're not teaching on the Trinity today, but <laughs> you know, the, the three in one, they are one, and yet they are three, three individuals, and we don't understand it. I can teach, and every time I teach on it, I tell you, I'm going to teach you what the Bible says about it, and you won't understand it any better when we're done than when you started. Because our mind can't comprehend that idea. How can three things be one and still be three separate individuals? We can't even comprehend it. And I've shared with that, I think that's great. There are people who say, well, how can you believe something that is so far-fetched and we can't believe it? That just tells me that God is greater than I am. 
If I could understand everything there was that God tells me in the Bible, then I would be smarter than God. And I'll tell you one thing, I'm not smarter than God. <laughs> now, uh, nobody I know is smarter than God because he says he knows everything. There are things that don't make a whole lot of sense to us. We just know that they're going to be true. They're not against his character, so we know they're true. You know, my very simple thing at the beginning, he created us knowing that we were going to fall and knowing that he was going to die. To our brains, it doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? I have no idea what he's, what, why he did it. You know what? I don't think he's going to tell us either. <laughs> I don't think when we get to heaven, he'll tell us why. And then he said, if they reject you, they're rejecting me, and they're rejecting the Father. Do you realize the power of your decision on earth? A very short time on earth, we get to make the decision that will affect eternity. You know, that we make a decision for Christ or against him on this world, and that will affect what happens for all of eternity. One little decision in a very small moment of time. And I've said this, you know, even if we lived as long as Abraham, uh, of Adam and those guys, we lived a thousand years, what's a thousand years to eternity? You know, you'll look back and say, well, way back when <laughs> I made this decision and this is why I'm here. Don't remember way back then very well because it was so long ago. And those in hell are going to remember with crystal clarity every time that they heard the gospel and rejected it as they spend eternity in hell. Eternity with their conscience bothering them. Eternity knowing that they're in that painful place because they chose it. We need to get serious about sharing the gospel with people because eternity is in the balance. And this is serious business for us. You know, we forget it because we live in this temporal world. We, we get so busy going to work and you know, with our activities and our family activities and our holiday activities and all these things that we forget. None of this really matters. Ultimately, nothing we do in this world matters except what we do with Christ. And that's what we need to focus on, eternity, and being able to share with others. And the last thing that happened is the 70 came back and they were all excited. <laughs> the spirits, you know, we were able to cast out demons. We healed people. Look at all the things that we did. And Jesus answered them. He says, rejoice not that the spirits were subject to you, but rather because your names are written in heaven. Ultimately, the greatest thing we have is that our name is written in the book of life. Nothing else really matters. Now, we're, we're told we're going to get rewards and, and everything. We're going to have a, a suite of rooms in, the, in, in uh, the New Jerusalem. We're going to have all these great things, but all that really matters is that we're there. <laughs> is that we're there. I don't know what a reward means in heaven. Now, I know what it would mean here on earth. You know, I get prestige and I'm, go I'm going to be all important because I've got rewards. I've got more rewards than anybody else, so I'm, I'm, I'm better than everybody else. I don't know what it means in heaven to have a reward. I'm looking forward to some, and then God can show us what it's all about. But, you know, our goal is that our name is written in the book of life. Our goal is that our family members have their name written in the book of life. Our goal is that our friends 
have their name written in the book of life. That we will spend eternity with them. Because that is what's all important, is what is in store for you in eternity. What is in store for your family eternity? You know, this is not quite the message that I thought I was going to be preaching today. <laughs> but, but it is what is important for us to challenge us to go out and say, where are you with Christ? Have you rejected him or accepted him? Is he living in you? Has he come in? Is he living inside you and giving you the power and strength? Everything about our salvation is a gift of grace. You know, we sang amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Have you really contemplated how wonderful God's grace is? We don't deserve anything. We don't deserve him dying on the cross. We don't deserve the Holy Spirit living in us. We don't deserve the 51 things that happen to us the moment we get saved. We're sealed, we're delivered, we're, we're put in the Lamb's book of life, we're given power, we're given strength, all the different things that we're giving. We're adopted into the family of God. We are made the children of the king of the universe, which means we have royalty that we're part of. And yet we don't understand all that happens when that one moment of acceptance of him comes. We receive a peace that passes understanding in a day and age where everything is out to make you unsatisfied, unpeaceful, and afraid, because that's what Satan wants us to do. We have a peace that passes understanding where I just say, God, you're in charge. Thank you. Do you realize that God is in charge of everything that goes on? You will not die until God allows you to die. And when he's ready for you to die, you will not live past that moment that he's ready for you to come home. You are in his hands completely. Satan has no control over you. Now sometimes God gives him a little more freedom than we would like, just as he did with Job. Job went through a lot of trouble because God said, said to Satan, did you consider Job? And Job says, of course I have, but you're protecting him too much. And God says, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. Do you realize that nothing happens to you without God's permission? Nothing. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to always think it's great, but God says all things work together for good, so what, hap what he allows will be for good at some point. may not be till heaven, but it'll be for good. We sometimes don't understand it, and I've told you many times my prayer is, God, I don't understand how this can be for, for good, but you have promised that it will be for good. Trust in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Those are great verses to understand. God, I just don't understand what's going on, but you, you know what's going on. Trust him. Put your faith in him so that you will live at peace. Because there is no peace without God. I, would not, I can't even imagine how people live without God. And you know what? From what I see, they're not living with God because they're getting drunk every night and, and getting high and all the other things that they're doing to try to forget about what's going on. We have a peace that allows us to just walk with God because he is in charge. 
He is the God, the king of this world. And Satan is just a puppet on a string that he has in full control of. You know, Satan is not God's opposite. He is evil, where God is good. There's lots of places where you might say he's evil, but he's a created being on a chain who has to ask permission for anything that he wants to do to humans and this world. He has to get permission. Now, many of us, you like, well, I wish God would give a little less permission to him, and I kind of agree sometimes. I wish God would give him a little less permission. But God is putting us and saying, are you going to trust me? And the more you've learned to trust God, the more the temptation has to be to, to trust God. Because God's going to say, do you truly trust me? Let me put you in a situation that's going to say, do you trust me? And the more you've learned to trust God, the harder that lesson's going to be because he's going to say, are you going to trust me in this new area? Which is harder than the first area. But you know, God is on our side. He wants to get us victorious because he lives in us if we will just allow our flesh to be destroyed. Most of our problem is that we let our flesh reign and rule. And we need to learn to let God crucify ourselves. Where I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me is important. God is going to do everything he needs to do to crucify our flesh. And say, let's get rid of that part. Let's get rid of that part. And you know what? Crucifixion is not without pain. We're not going to enjoy being crucified. Our flesh does not like to be crucified. But our spirit will be better off in the long run. Lord, we ask you to bless this day. Teach us to trust in you more. Teach us to seek after you in all we do. Lord, if there's anybody listening on, online that doesn't know you or sitting in this room that doesn't know you, we ask today that they will confess, Lord, I am a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. Come in and live within me and be my savior. I repent of what I've done wrong. I turn away from it. And I just thank you. Lord, we just ask you to do that. If anybody has said that prayer, we ask them to talk to a Christian to let them know that they have made that decision. Lord, we ask that you bless the food and fellowship to follow today and that you will give us a wonderful time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this, God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of 
of his family. We encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431.